1: and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com ACAST. Hi, I'm Ben Kay, and welcome to episode 20 of this season's Rugby Tonight podcast. This week I'm joined by the one and only Brian O'Driscoll and we're going to look back at a massive weekend for the Celtic sides in the Champions Cup and a rather sobering one for a few of the Aviva Premiership teams. We'll also cast our eyes over the final round of matches that will confirm the identity of the eight quarter finalists. Joining us in the studio was Wales and Cardiff legend Martin Williams. We'll hear from him later. So Brian, first if we start with some of the ongoing news that's that's been happening this week quite a big one for for english rugby and, and maybe quite surprising uh eddie jones extending his contract past the rugby world cup to 2021 but not only that tying in an almost handover period to whoever's going to take over from next time
2: yeah it's, it's really interesting um eddie obviously was the one that was um speaking all along that i was just getting to the world cup i want to win, win england the world cup or help them win one and never thought or mentioned anything beyond that. Whether he had a vision that he wanted to carry them through for another couple of years or for another ter- term or not, he obviously kept to himself. But he said himself uh, earlier this morning that as soon as those contract negotiations started opening up the deal, it was a fait accompli pretty quickly. He was very interested. Um, I'm interested to understand the minutiae of it, whether um, if the Lions um, committee came came knocking, whether, there's a clause in his contract to entertain that notion or not. Um but good news for England all round. He's been a revelation since he's come in. He's um he you know, he seems to have everyone on tender hooks, but at the same time getting the very best out of them. Well the
1: players really like him. That that's the key thing, isn't it? Despite him being quite hard tasked the players really like him. I, I think it's quite positive from England. I think, you know, one of the the big criticisms since two thousand and three and having won the World Cup in two thousand and three was What do you do next? And it took a long time for that ship uh, to steady and and actually go back to planning for the future rather than reacting to what was happening and and various results and things. So I think that's quite good. I think Eddie Jones almost wants to create a bit of a legacy for, for what he's done. And he's done that with some of his selections. If you look at how he's always put youngsters into his squad, knowing that they wouldn't play, but just to get them used to the environment, he's developing the next level of players coming through. And I think he's trying to do the same with that coaching staff. The interesting thing, I guess, will be who is that person that he he hands the bat on to and, and takes that year or so to, to, to hand over the reins. Will it be someone from within his own camp or do you think it might be someone from outside?
2: Not an easy process, you know, because he still has to get the job done. So it's, you know, keeping an eye on... Um, on on the side and on the, their progress but at the same time trying to integrate someone new it obviously would make an awful lot of sense if it was one of the um current coaches be it uh, Borthwick or Gustard um or anyone else that he might bring in um in over that period of time um but you know he's he, he seems like a a pretty um focused individual and for him to allow a certain amount of time in that year to bring another coach into a system or, you know, allow them to make that transition, it can't, that's breaking from the norm of what he'd be used to. So it's interesting that he, he was willing to do that, um, maybe at the suggestion of um, at committee level or at board level.
1: Well, one thing that sort of interests me, though, is the fact that he the guys that he's got coaching, the, the best number twos in your coaching setup don't necessarily make the best number ones. And, and it's probably wrong to call it number one and number two, because, you know, a guy in a tracksuit whose major strength is coaching. So let's take the All Blacks who've led the way for years. Wayne Smith out and out regarded around the world. Any team would want him as their, uh, uh, on their coaching staff, leading that environment, but not necessarily doing that almost director of rugby role that that we find. So, <laughs> Is Steve Borthwick the right man, or or do you then lose a lot of his strengths if he doesn't can't spend all his time on the training? Field?
2: To to a very similar point, um, having spoken to Stuart Lancaster, um, I think what has really refreshed his um, enthusiasm for coaching again is the opportunity to actually go and do that, to not be front and centre, not have to deal with you know media and um, you know all fields. Um, components to the role, but actually just get his tracksuit on and go coaching again. And, and the players have um, said that he's a revelation at Leinster. So it, it's interesting. It's not always the case where um, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. You know, that top job isn't all um,
1: all that it's made out to be sometimes. A couple of names in, in the frame from outside. Obviously, Dean Richards um, for a long time has been linked with, with various England roles. But Rob Baxter doing amazing things at Exeter. He must be near the top of the list.
2: And does he need international experience in advance of, um, well, of taking over a role not like that? Maybe if you've
1: got someone like Eddie Jones to, to help you into it and give you a year and a half of maybe taking a bit of the flack off you and, and allowing you to grow into that role, particularly if it's coming off the back of a lot of success.
2: But also, you talk about allowing you to grow into that role. Surely that role is being out front and centre, dealing with that extra pressure that comes with being the focal point of the team. How does... A coach gain experience, but not without
1: being properly in charge. Uh, uh, Exactly, and and it will be very, very interesting. I I think, even though the RFU announced this now, for the next four years or so, we're all going to be talking about. How's that going to pan out? And they've almost created another story by by releasing the the fact that Eddie Jones is going to stay on and and help someone through. Right, on to more news from this week. A few disciplinary hearings. It was not the greatest weekend for for European rugby in in, in terms of discipline. Um, Probably the easier one to talk about at the beginning is James Haskell's red card for a high tackle. And yeah, I think you'll (laughs) take that one. I think they
2: probably got it right. I think around, you know, we were thinking three or four weeks. was it reduced from six to four? Am I right? Yeah, um, yeah. Which, so, which listen, often happens, do you, doesn't it? Do you know it? what so it was? Should we it was explain, mis- yeah.
1: explain to people at home that what happens usually is you have a have a tariff, which then gets reduced down if there are any mitigating circumstances, or if the player literally just ha- holds his hands up and says, "Yes, I was in the wrong," or a good behaviour. Yeah, exactly. If, you, if you're not, if you haven't been prone to doing it throughout your career, so that's why it is a six-week ban, but it has been in re- reduced down to four.
2: And and. You know, James Haskell was one of the first ones to hold his hand up. He yeah. got his timing wrong, um, and I think was, that I, was all it was. It wasn't was. It? There was nothing like I've heard so much chat about how you know it was a malicious hit. No. You know, in, intended to go high, and don't be ridiculous. No, but it's um, it's a lesson was, to all
1: players that the referees and the, the disciplinary panels are looking for the element of control you have in the game. So if you're out of control, that's when you see a red card, and that's
2: more likely to happen the more tired you get, the yeah. more fatigued you get. So I suppose players
1: need to be more conscious of it the later the game goes. Right, slightly more uh, contentious and maybe a little bit more difficult to talk about is the Mathieu Bastereau. We obviously can't, we don't want to say what he said, but it was um, in relation to uh, homophobic language uh, that he used. Um, I, I guess we should probably point out, we, whatever we say now, we're not condoning W- what he said
2: absolutely not. um
1: but your take on has he been dealt with sternly enough he's um had a had a six-week ban knocked down to three again because he held his hand up K- and said K- it was K- guilty,
2: wrong yeah well there was, there was no way he wasn't going to uh no. <laughs> he was going to get away with it it was clearly it was picked up clearly on the referee's mic um is it is it is that a, a big enough ban do you think personally i think no i think does it act as that much of a deterrent that you get a three-week ban for saying something of a of a homophobic nature? Um, I, I, I probably not. I think you know you look at um, the spectrum of different things, be it um, homophobia, racism, um, and multitude of other uh, areas. I suppose they all have to be dealt with. Yeah. There's no. Um, Comment that is more outlandish than the next when you're dealing, uh, you know, with with that level of um, of crime, so to speak. So I just uh, feel as though it was an opportunity. My take on it,
1: and and I know I'll get some some abuse for this, and and it, I, I am not condoning what he said. My take on it is this is a a golden opportunity, a bit like football had with uh, the Luis Suarez incident, to to draw a line in the sand, and say right, this is totally unacceptable, and. Perhaps they should have punished him more. I Actually, we've all been in environments where the word that's used has has been used by someone, and I don't necessarily think, and, you know, Mathieu Bastereau has said that it wasn't directed as a comment to, to this person to say that they, they were a homosexual. It was a throw, you know, in his words, a, a throwaway line. Um, almost, uh, uh, you know, you take it that the guy was a bit soft, which, you know, isn't great because it's yeah, tied in with, with, yeah. with the homophobic yeah. language. So I actually don't think he was being homophobic, but he's used homophobic language. Yeah. And that is why we have to say, look, th- this isn't acceptable in our game. It will offend people. Let's cut it out now. Let's never have it again. And I think if someone else um, used this sort of language, I think the, the, the sanction will be higher now. But... Can a, they then go back and say, well, hang on, Matthew Bastro only got this for... for well, it.
2: We'll, we'll look back to Joe Marler, so one of the other yeah. um, relevant ones. It was, um, there was a Samson Lee that...
1: Slightly different in that Samson Lee was uh, had gypsy heritage and, yeah. and it, it was accusing him of, of being inferior because that's of, a, of his that, heritage. That's
2: not my point. My point is, why a £20,000 fine for Joe Marler and nothing for Matthew Bastro?
1: Good point. Yeah,
2: so point. I was expecting as I was reading the disparity hearing yeah. and waiting to the end of of the of the document to see what the what the fine would be, and yet there was nothing. So I just don't know what what legislates for a fine versus no I, fine. I
1: think as we said at the top, it's a really difficult thing to talk about.
2: I'm and not actually, enjoying when, it.
1: When, Well, no, whenever anything like this happens, you almost don't want to talk about it because yeah. you fear that you're going to offend someone. Whereas at least. You know, People are talking about it and saying, look, this isn't acceptable in our game. Let's get rid of it now. Let's never have it again. And uh, hopefully we can move on and everyone thinks that, that our sport is inclusive and, and, and it is a game for everyone. OK, let's move off that subject and something slightly more positive, uh, especially if you're a Saracens fan. Maybe not so much if you're a London Irish fan. Alex Lewington. You've watched a good
2: bit of him this season. Um, he's been pretty impressive for a team that's at the, at the foot of the table. Um, Uh, Absolutely. How good a signing do you think he is? Yeah, only
1: Ollie Woodburn more clean uh, breaks in the Premiership this season than him. Um, A fantastic talent with ball in hand. I think there are still a few question marks about him defensively. But Saracens is a team that not only will coach him to be better in that regard, but also, um, you know, perhaps... Some of those defensive frailties can can be hidden a little bit more in a, in a team like Saracen's if you're a team that's on the back foot all the time like london Irish, maybe maybe that's a bit more difficult but certainly ball in hand probably one of the most exciting talents in the Premiership a little bit like Christian Wade when he first broke onto the scene everyone was saying that you know he could he couldn't defend actually he's got a lot lot better yeah. in defensive now I,
2: I suppose yes it's about big squads now and rotation and strength and depth and everything but if you're Alex Lewington, are you thinking I'm going to break into that first fifteen yes. with Chris Wiles, um with um, the, f- the bomb diffuser um, on the wing in uh, Liam Williams yeah. um, as so-called bomb diffuser? Yeah, um, oh, I
1: think I think he will. I think he'll
2: think. You've got Maitland on the wing.
1: Absolutely. So there's plenty of competition. You know, the, the wor- there is. We, obviously, we don't know. Uh, I don't think we know yet what what Nathan Hill's doing as well. Um, but but there are rumours that he might be on the move. Um, Chris Wiles is just starting to get to that age profile uh, as a back three player where perhaps, you know, you might think, well, as a younger guy coming through, that there's an opportunity there for, for me to take his place. I, I take the point about Sean Maitland, but I think he'll back himself. I think he'll think if I get a, if you know, if I'm making that many clean breaks again, as long as I can sort my defensive, or uh, well, perceived defensive weaknesses out, then why won't they pick him?
2: And then the other big news that maybe Danny Cipriani wasn't delighted to see at Wasps this week was the signing of Lima Sepawanga um, from New Zealand. He's obviously realised his days in an all-black jersey might be numbered and uh, he's he's um, moved to the exit to come over to uh, Wasps for next season. A big signing for them. Um, I mean, that's huge. What do you make of that?
1: Because I don't necessarily think that that is a we're going to sign this guy, so Danny, we don't need you. To me, that looks like the sort of um, decision that, because Danny Cipriani was to look so much better when when he's been in the side this year. So to me, that looks a decision by the management, Dai Young, to say, actually, we don't want Danny next year. So we now need to make sure that whoever we bring in is... Revered around the world as being as good as Danny because Danny has has set the Premiership alight at times this year. So, um, you know, for whatever reason that is, uh, to me, that looks like we can only let Danny go if we can replace him with this fly half that every club in the world would be be clamouring to get their hands on. And they've done it. And uh, as a result, where does that leave Danny Cipriani? Um, Is he going to get back into the England squad if he moves to a Premiership team? Which Premiership team... He's, wants him? or He's not going
2: to get back into the into the England team, is he? Yeah, oh, oh, you know, realistically, I, I personally yeah. don't don't see it at this point. No, and, and,
1: and with your knowledge of um, European rugby, top fourteen style, would that suit him? Do you think?
2: Not overly so. Maybe maybe down in Toulon, you know but beyond there the top 14 is a grind mm. it's not about effective backlines and and tens making teams tick or you know expansive um with wide wide you know game plan like like he's felt or, or like he's played over the last couple of seasons with Wasp. that's not the way they play the game they they want to kick their goals the 10 has to be good out of hand um keep his forwards going and you know, defensively strong and not give a whole lot away, and I just don't really see um, top fourteen suiting his game. Interesting to see that he has he's had he's held talks with some French sides, but I guess uh, the other
1: you know, the other reason for this, you know, pe- people often put two and two together and make five, and. and you know, people might say, well, oh, obviously Da Young and Danny Cipriani don't get on, which is why he doesn't want to keep him. It could be a financial decision. It could be that Danny Cipriani was wanting more money than Da Young was prepared to play for his fly half or for Danny, whether he thought that was value or not. And you know, that brings us on to a slightly different point that um, uh, Marcus Smith, obviously is a young 18 year old, we're hearing rumours that he's been signed up on, on he's obviously signed for Harlequins but it it's as much as 230,000 whether it is that as a whole package or or there's bonuses involved or whatever i think that's one of the hardest things particularly for the Aviva Premiership teams that don't have that uh, that like like the Irish provinces do the 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 um the national team mm-hmm. involvement is making that salary cap fit when all the players uh, wages are going up and and Actually, although the salary cap has gone up, squads in the Viva, Viva Premiership are are falling because you get the likes of, uh, uh, you know, uh, Sapanga coming into the Premiership, uh, a, a huge talent, but you know maybe someone who's not quite as good a player is thinking, well, if he's on that, I should be on this, and 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 gradually all those wages go up,
2: and also the the wages um, being offered. Um, in France at the moment yeah. are also drive, having an effect on the Premiership and, uh, and on Irish rugby. You know, Those recent um, signatures of um, Peter O'Mahony and CJ Stander you know they were driving their numbers up there, talking is, there of is one in thing,
1: the thing that might, might change that mm-hmm. is the shift uh, quota mm. which is gonna, which has come in before now and it's always been a financial thing actually from next season I think or is it this season that, that it starts having a, a, an effect on points so if you don't have enough French qualified players in there or French players that have come through French academies you actually start to lose points in the season so I think there might just be a little bit of a softening on, not so much on the top players wages and that will have an effect globally but those middle of the road players that thought well I could always go to France I'm the never going to get the marquee names capped.
2: will still get their yes. money but it is it's it's the tranche just yeah. below that yeah. where you know they they're not getting what they think they deserve from their 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 club yeah, exactly. at home so they say right further field yeah
1: and then news uh from Ireland that Tommy Bowe... At the end of the season, will be hanging up his boots. What a servant he's yeah, been! Yeah, he's, he's been brilliant. Ab-
2: absolutely brilliant, um, and he did it in a in a pretty impressive way too. Um, I didn't know there was a, a poet in there. I don't know. There, there might be one line lost in a few people. The reference to George is um, an RT broadcaster guy George called Huck. George Hook,
1: um, <laughs> the most positive man, yeah, <laughs> in rugby.
2: who wasn't Tommy's <laughs> biggest fan for many, many, many years. Um, but it went, uh, yeah, his his poem was, I, I spent most of my career in Belfast. At first, George said I wasn't very fast. Eventually, I found my gears, had some incredible years, but it's time to tell you, this is my last. There you go. Um, Giving up rugby for a career in uh, greetings cards. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, um, it's no great surprise. I think you can you can see these. The last couple of seasons, have, have he's been, um, he's had some, really bad injuries um and that on top of a player where the juice is starting to leave their legs, yeah. you know, particularly on a, as an outside back. Um so the writing was on the wall, but he's been an incredible servant to Ulster, did a stint in the Ospreys, obviously with Ireland and the Lions. You know, he's had yeah, a lot of success career, yeah. with the Lions too and he was a terrific player. Um and I said one for the hard track and, and one
1: for the trenches. He was a guy that you wanted you with you yeah. no matter what the conditions were. Okay, so uh, more news. God, it's a busy week, isn't it? Six Nations squads are starting uh, to be announced. Uh, Wales um, have announced their squad. Uh, a couple of new guys into the squad. Uncapped duo of James Davis and Josh Adams. Um, quite a few injuries in their squad, though. Talupe Faletau is going to miss the first two rounds at least. George North is recovering from a knee injury, uh, but they hope that he might be available. Rhys Priestland sustained a groin injury on Friday. So are Wales going to be able to cope with that? There's some pretty big names missing there, but well, a couple of exciting guys coming through.
2: Yeah, there are. I think you know Faletau, particularly with the form that he's shown from last summer through to the early part of the season, you know, he's... He's been a world-class operator, but I think he's at the peak of his powers at the moment. He's that age profile, yeah. um, where physically he's he's just dominating players. He's got he's developed this phenomenal engine to him as well, where he's a um, all-action eighty-minute player. Um, so any side in the world would be less off for for um not having him in in their team. Um. George North is an interesting one. George hasn't been at his best for a couple of seasons. Yeah. He's come and gone. He's had, you know, some injury issues himself. Obviously, well documented concussion problems, um, and he do, he needs a bit of luck too. He needs a run of games to be able mm-hmm. to play his way back back into things. He's obviously heading his way, heading back uh, over the bridge next year. Go, going to, I don't think it's it's been announced yet which of the regions he's going no. to. They're all clamoring for but, him. Um, but but uh, you know, as much as there's disappointment in losing two. You know, top quality operators like that. I think it's important to to also note and to reintroduce or introduce um, young talent that have proven themselves in in the first part of this season. James Na- Davis is probably brother of of um, Jonathan Davis. Yeah. Uh, has been knocking at, on that door for a yeah, while. Yeah, it's
1: been a while that people have been surprised he hasn't been included, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I'm surprised to see that he he's uncapped. I thought he might have yeah. picked something up on that on on last summer's tour, but. Um, he's been very good for the Scarlets. He you know, he's he's very, very good at the uh, at the rook. He's a really good link yeah. player, he you know, he's he's a, uh, an Olympic uh, silver medalist with the sevens, so right. we know yeah. you know his capabilities um of of playing that elusive open game and it's suited perfectly to Scarlet style mm. yeah. and and to whale style to a certain degree, maybe think, not to the same
1: effect. Because last year or, or maybe for the last eighteen months there's been a shift in the Welsh style, hasn't there? They, they they've opened the game up more. Is that gonna suit the, some of those Scarlet's players a little bit more?
2: Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I think it will. I think they um I think a lot of it um has to do with they've probably changed the personnel yeah. in midfield in particular. Obviously yeah. Jonathan Davis isn't gonna be fit. Um, no. there's no Jamie Roberts no, in this squad. Not in the squad um so i i know they do want to um play a more expansive game um play a game where they can cut teams um off first phase or off count or off, off set piece um so listen wales never have 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 historically certainly in my knowledge over the last number of years have never really done a whole lot in november yeah but they're never that far away no, come exactly. six nations they're always in the mix um and last year, right down to the final game against against France, they could have finished yeah. second. They ended up finishing fourth, yeah. but there was nothing in it. So, um, yeah, interesting. I don't know a whole lot about, about Josh Adams. You, you'll have seen a, a bit more of, of him, but he's well, he, a, he knows where the try line is.
1: He does um, and can create something out of nothing if the rest of your attack isn't functioning too well, just with a, a loose bit of ball that he picks up. So, um, yeah, it'll be fascinating whether he can take that form into international rugby there is a step up um, but with his skill set that I don't think there's any reason why he can't so hugely exciting uh, pick for me um, and, and, and very much deserved well that's what Brian and I think of the Wales squad but someone who probably knows a lot more about the subject is Martin Williams and these are his thoughts.
0: I suppose Obviously, the big name is James Davis at Openside. We've, we've got an embarrassment of riches in Wales when it comes to the seven position. You know, you guys see Thomas Young week in, week out carving up the uh, Viva, but there's no place for him. But James has been superb for the last three years, really has been probably the best player in the Pro 14, so he deserves his chance. Um, big names missing, Jamie Roberts. feel for Jamie, he's been outstanding for the Quins this year, but hasn't quite got the nod. But, look, there was a lot of concerned back home about uh, the amount of injuries we had going into the Six Nations but Without Sam Warburton and Jonathan Davis, that's probably a fully fully fit squad, so it's is, a really strong-looking squad.
1: Is that change that you were talking about, some of the players that are not involved, is that a reflection of a change in tactics by, the, Wel- by the, the Welsh management or has the players reflected the change in tactics to that slightly more open...
0: No, I, I think the Welsh management have taken on board that, you know, they picked Owen Williams at 12 in the autumn and they are trying, they, I think they've learned from the Lions, particularly most of the Welsh management... We're on that trip, and if they are going to improve, if we are going to start winning championships again, they realize they've got to exp- you know, expand their game. England have done that, so I think it's just a fact that they uh, and, and we've got players who can play that way as well. You know, so you know Owen Williams, Liam Williams is back as well, who's huge for us as a backline. So it's just I think it is a change in philosophy the way Wales are going to play.
2: So France have announced their squad, um, the first one since Guinove's departure and Jack Brunel's. Um, brought back in someone from the cold in Morgan Para that Guy Navez didn't have a whole lot of time for. Um, he's been in, in a little bit of a stuttering Claremont team, but there's no doubt he's got a wealth of, of experience internationally, both at 9 and 10. Well, what, um,
1: what's interesting on that, perhaps, is, is his ability to, to hopefully get the best out of the people around him. If you look at some of the selections... Um, there's some interesting youngsters coming through. The guy I'm most excited about seeing whether he can make that step up is Matthew uh, Jalibert, who uh, plays for Bordeaux. I saw him for half a game of rugby in uh, against Newcastle up at Kingston Park and genuinely the Most impressive 40 minutes I've seen by a, a, an up and coming player that the person I've been most excited by just had everything. Um, you know, Newcastle went after him, flew out of the line, tried to get him his passing game, his running game. He scored a worldy try. Um, and yeah, he is to me could well be a global superstar. And for him to be thrown in at this age in a French team, and, and you know, the, over the last few years, France have been very pragmatic, haven't they, really? Mm. We, we, yeah. That they haven't had a settled nine ten combination, but they, they they tend to be quite pragmatic. You know, this guy could could easily now hold down uh, the ten shirt for for many years to come.
2: And Jacques Brunel, you know, probably didn't have the squad with Italy that he you know wanted to play the style that maybe uh, and, he'd and, had some success down in Perpignan yeah. with.
1: Yeah, I think the other thing that's really interesting to me is the fact that they've put together that coaching panel. They, uh, so. Uh, Jacques Brunel is obviously an old, well-established coach, but maybe a little bit like Eddie Jones. They've put that him in to oversee everything, but they've got a load of quite young, exciting, uh, talented, up-and-coming coaches working as a panel underneath him. And, and you know, they didn't have that with Guy I don't think. I don't think that was, was a strong enough element. And um, you know, we'll see now whether there's been a, a total shift in mindset from the French that actually... We're not going to live week to week. We're, we're we're going to plan for the future and and some of these um, admissions into into the squad, uh, Danny Priso coming in as well. Um, you know, they're, it, 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 maybe they're they're looking to the future a little bit more.
2: Yeah, no Duke, no no Louis Pickamol.
1: Well, Pickamol is the big one, but he has been not his usual self. Having gone back to to Montpellier from from uh, Northampton, he was such an important player for Northampton last year, and, and perhaps some of their struggles this year has been the fact that they reliance replaced on him them and, yeah. and, and he gave them that go forward so maybe that's just the slight uh kick up the rear that, that he needs to start performing i, I can understand tran duke i think you know the well, he's on the bench for too long yeah for, exactly for more often than not yeah exactly i think maybe we, we might have seen the end of, of his international career unless there are injuries or or an opportunity that he has to come back into fill for um but certainly that it looks particularly at 10, like they're looking for the future.
2: And then with the Ireland squad has literally just hot off the press the last 10 or 15 minutes, um, no huge surprise. I suppose the one name um, that the whole country of Ireland were hoping to have included in the list is Jordan Larmer. Good um, decision? I think it's a good decision, whether he's used or not. Yeah. I think introduction into the squad, You know, your first time being... Um, named in any Irish squad as a big moment in your life. He's just turned 20. Um, he's had a, a run of really impressive games for Leinster. Um, well, you,
1: you know Joe Schmidt. Yeah. How will he integrate him into the squad? Will, will he just throw him in at the deep end? Will it be very, very softly, softly approach? Or? I'd imagine
2: softly. Listen, Joe, Joe mixes things up, so right. you he know, keeps us guessing. Um, the big thing is, does he see him in his squad for 2019, or is he lining him up for the future thereafter. It's a there's a long time still to go to September next year. Um and lots of opportunities whether he gets at this Six Nations or not. I'm I'm not entirely sure. I think bringing him into the squad um I suppose letting him understand what's expected of him um, you know that integration process with seasoned internationals. Um there's a big gulf in class between pro 14 rugby which he's largely been playing yeah. in international rugby um, the systems will be slightly different so What's I, I would it, be surprised if I saw him throwing
1: him in early on everyone's screaming about uh, what Jordan Armand can do where are the areas that if he is going to be in that rugby world cup squad he needs to improve to, to? where where would his weaknesses be at the moment
2: well I think his understanding positionally uh, I think he's a good tackler yeah. but not necessarily a brilliant defender right, yeah. and I think you know, he played a lot of his schoolboy rugby at 13. Now he's being asked to play at fullback. Yeah. So he doesn't have a huge amount of experience. He's got some great coaches, you know, in Gervin Dempsey at, at Leinster. He's got um, Rob Kearney and Issa Nasiwa, um to, to show him the ropes um, behind the scenes at training as well. So he's in good hands. Um, it's just a matter of what is his best position. It is easier to find yourself um, to be integrated into a setup on the wing than it is at fullback yeah. I think there's yeah. more onus and more responsibility on you as a fullback whereas as a winger it's yes you're part of of that pivot um, of that pendulum but the the focus isn't on your yeah. attacking game on your last line of defence um, on your kicking game as much as it is yeah, in sure. the 15 jersey so so um, that is a you know a, a, an opportunity for joe to bring him into the side maybe play him on the wing but I, I think they do need to try and choose a position i'm 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 almost contradicting myself because i don't like players being pigeonholed into one position We should yeah. have the, that french french capability i love Damien try used to play 10 Australia, 12 15 well. yeah. on the wing sometimes yeah. i love that so i don't want to but for a player so young, if he is going to be part of this Irish World Cup squad, yeah. he needs to find a Nailed position. Down. Yeah, And it's not going to be 13, realistically. There's lots of centres. Yeah. So it's going to be on the wing or at 15. And he can learn both, but find a position yeah. for six months or a year and let him play there. And is he, Is he? you know, is Joe Schmidt thinking that he's the capabilities of being Ireland's full-back for the World Cup? He is so exciting in attack. There are so many, particularly seasoned um Players that are getting you know to the winter of their career yeah, sure. that are scared out of their lives playing yeah. against this guy. He he can just make you look silly for fun. Um, but the question marks is his his kicking game, which it can come on. I think he sees space very well, so his chipping game and his little grubber game is very good. I think his longer kicking game needs work, but his his defensive positioning of understanding. When he's last man, when he has to attack the winger, you know, he's been exposed a couple of times from backing off. And I just hope he's getting the right messages to him of where he can improve, because by all accounts, he picks up things very quickly. He's not just this athlete, this raw athlete. I think he gets it. And that's why lots of the Lencer squad are very excited about him being part of it.
1: Okay, well, as we've mentioned, you know, all three of those teams have got exciting new talent coming through Josh Adams. Um, uh, Jalibert for France and, and, and then we've just been talking about Jordan Lama. Um Scotland have a, have a young man by the name of Greg Laidlaw coming through um, he's back in the squad first uh, time uh, involvement with Test Rugby since uh, February 2017 when he tore his uh, ankle ligaments against France uh, broken leg versus Claremont in October what's uh, Gregor Townsend going to do is he going to stick with Ali Price is he just coming back in to the fold because he deserves to be there because of his history. What, what? For me, I think he sticks with Ali Price at the moment. Um,
2: I think he's he's the player in form. Obviously, laidlaw has been out for for huge parts of of the season, um, but I think the the combination with Finn Russell at at um, Glasgow, even though they you know, probably haven't achieved at, at European level like they would have wanted, they've been good at Pro, at pro 14 and Ali Price had a, a very effective November series. So. It's the man in possession of the jersey, and I think he's the one that has to be
1: replaced. Is there um, an element? Because Scotland have had all sorts of problems injury-wise up front. Uh, They've got five front rows missing. 36-year-old Scott Lawson comes back into the squad for the first time in four years. Is a little bit of that selection decision around nine whether the forward pack's on the front foot or whether uh, they they can't mix it up?
2: Yeah, but knowing Gregor Townsend, he's not someone that... Um, cuts his cloth an awful lot. Yeah, he's, right. he's, a, he's a smart coach, but at the same time, he wants to play the game in an expansive, fast, free-flowing way. And I think Ali Price undoubtedly lends his himself to being in that nine jersey a lot more than Greg Laidlaw. With respect to Laidlaw, he's been very, very good for Scotland over the last number of years. You know, controls things brilliantly. But I think there's been an evolution within that Scottish team. Um, it was started by Vern Cotter, and I think picked up. Um, by Gregor Townsend, a couple of last season, uh, a summer win against Australia, a November win against Australia. So the only way you're going to beat, you're not going to grind those teams down uh, and beat them, you know, regularly by um, by playing ten man rugby. No, exactly. You're and going to, have, stakes, to you're gonna have to. You're going to have to score tries, and, what, I, what, think way, mean, and yeah. I think that's been the Glasgow way, and I think that's going to become the Scotland way.
1: Yeah um right England uh it's not confirmed till Thursday um but we're hearing a few little things obviously there's a there's a big injury issue um particularly uh, well Joe Marler's ban and um the, the out so loose heads an area. but the area that's probably causing him most problems at the moment is at number eight with Billy Vonnerola's injury breaking his wrist uh, against the Ospreys. Uh, we know that Nathan Hughes is out injured. Uh, Haskell's now got a ban, so he couldn't be the guy to come in. Uh, Sam Simmons, do you think he's the next off the rank? Well, you know, um,
2: you, you never know how you'll get your opportunity. You know, yeah. and sometimes you do need two and three inju- injuries yeah. in front of you, where you're way down the pecking order, and all of a sudden you're catapulted into the setup. And if you can play well, I talked before about the player in possession, then it's very hard to replace you. Now, I know when believe uh, Funapolo comes back into any England team he's more often than not a game or two with Saracens and he's yeah. so good that he's going to get yeah. back into that jersey I think he's that much better than everyone else out there um, but great opportunity for Sam Simmons he's been very good for the Chiefs um, well, know, particularly in the Premiership his stats are, 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 are quite impressive and uh, the qu- there's just question marks as to how England want to play the game he's yeah. not physically the biggest guy in the world so do they have to adapt their game
1: slightly to bring the best out in him, or does he have to evolve into the English pattern? Yeah, I mean, he, he's not, as you said, size-wise, he's not. He's he's a big carrier. He's an explosive carrier, isn't he? He's plenty of pace. I think Eddie Jones' concern was, is he big enough to play eight? I think maybe saw him more as a as a seven, perhaps. Uh, but I th- I think he can do a role there, and particularly if Eddie Jones is going to pick a big number six uh, a courtney laws at number six um or a mario at number six and, and and play with almost a five and a half in that position so
2: does that mean that chris robshaw is carrying himself out of the twenty, or, or sorry into onto the bench or does he move him across to seven
1: who knows because that that is i mean i guess it depends on on the um on the fitness of uh, of everyone else uh, around there, Tom Curry. Um, Who would you
2: like to see at, at six, if you're if you're naming your England back row If now. I was
1: naming my England back row, I would 100% first name on the whole team sheet, I think, would be Courtney Laws at six, because I know that I've got enough. Well, uh, this sounds ridiculous. I know that the second row is a, a particularly strong area, and I think Courtney, how he's developed over the last two years, and, and answered those criticisms oh he's not a big enough ball carrier he's now Northampton's primary ball carrier and does it exceptionally well uh, he's got a big work rate defensively superb um, so I'd have no qualms at sticking him in and, and also we know how important first phase line out ball is and he gives you that proper line out option as a third guy along with, with other people who he who you partner that, him in, with in the second row um, you know, I think Mauro Although he's not quite in the form he was last year, um, he's still the, the, the first name in, in that second row pairing. And then it's whether you've got uh, someone like a, a George Cruz, who's out that been out of the training squad, so we'll see whether he's um, announced in the squad on Thursday, uh, or Nick Ezequie, another mm-hmm. Saracens. God, Saracens are just blessed with so many second rows. Or has Launchbury done enough? Uh, to, so he, he's got an embarrassment of, of riches in that position where he doesn't have an embarrassment of riches, particularly with the injury problems over the last few months is at seven uh, and eight. And, and that combination, how you fit that in around Courtney Laws, maybe, or, you know, an, another big six, it, it, it will be his biggest problem, I think. Well, Italy are going to keep us waiting until next week for their squad, but be interesting to see uh, Conor O'Shea, uh, where he goes with that. Jake Paladri, who's been on fire for Gloucester, is obviously uh, been rumoured to be uh, training with the squad, so that'll be uh, of real interest to particularly Gloucester fans. Um, right, if we move on to the Champions Cup and, and what happened last weekend briefly in review... Um, pretty poor week for the Aviva Premiership again. It's not been a good tournament for
2: them. No no it hasn't. It hasn't. Um in the corresponding fixture with the Scarlets, um, Bath had a big win in Parker Scarlet, uh, maybe against the odds. Um and that set them up brilliantly um in the in the pool, particularly with having Benetton um as as you know one of their sides. Um but they got absolutely dismantled by, by Scarlets uh, in the wreck.
1: Was that was that just Everything clicking for Scarlets, or was the gulf between the two teams? What well, the reason I say that is because sometimes you can play in games, and actually, you know, everything goes come comes off for you, and and the psychology that has that w- when you're just running in tries for fun, it, it, it dents the opposition. Do you think that was a case, or do you think that Bath were totally out- outclassed, and anyway? it would have been totally outclassed? Anyway.
2: I think it's a small bit of both. I, I I would in Scarlets' defence. In, in that correspond, corresponding fixture, yeah, it was biblical and rain. It, it was terrible. It was horrible. It? And they, still, to play. And, and they yeah. still play. And they still and scored still, it. Yeah, Steph, Steph score. Evans scored yeah. this unbelievable try, yeah. um, which, which I think we voted for, uh, or yeah. the, you know, um, the public voted as try of the round. So to still play and, and, and attempt to go after them, maybe they were a bit naive in trying to play, overplay. Yeah. But that they didn't needn't worry in uh, the rec at uh, the weekend on Friday the you know the conditions were perfect dry ball and they were excited about it. and they knew what they had to do they yeah. they weren't happy with with winning the game they knew they were going to have to go out and get five points and um, they duly did up scoring some scorchers just brilliant uh, decision making. Reese Patchell moved from ten to fifteen, came in as a second receiver, you know w- you know, one on the left, one on the right, um, that little left foot grubber for Scott Williams. I think that was the bonus mm-hmm. point try. Uh, I just they were so easy to watch and um they've set themselves up, giving themselves a brilliant opportunity Genuine against Chalons back it back as contenders yeah. yeah when you lose the first two yeah, everyone forgets yeah. about you and they've they've kind of slipped in under the radar to get themselves to 17 points as far as I know 16 yeah. or 17 points so cool. a win would would they top the group um at their place against Toulon do you at, fancy them yeah i do yeah, I, I do i think it's yeah. i don't think you'll see um a repeat of of that bath performance that yeah. they've they're hardly ever beaten in parker Scarlet, yeah. and um, I, I think I think potentially two can come from that group. Toulon are, are sitting pretty on eighteen mm. points. If they can get a losing bonus point, yeah. I definitely think nineteen yeah. will be enough.
1: Well, it should be, you know, if if it goes Scarlet's way, it should you'd think be an open game, which also could lead to a, a you know four tries yeah, for losing. Could. Yeah, line, Yeah, and, and
2: the big and, and obviously at that at that point the um the focus would be trying to get themselves a home, yeah. uh, a home quarter final because no one will. Uh, enjoy the thought of going there.
1: Okay. Well, and the other big, big performance for me was Exeter. Um, I think they'll be disappointed with how the the, the tournament's gone so far, particularly the the, the head-to-head um, against Leinster and losing at, at Sandy Park. They certainly bounced back at home to Montpellier, who would have been a lot of people's on, on a lot of people's favourites list going into this game.
2: Yeah, they were myself and and Lawrence were down in Sandy Park uh, on Saturday, and they were outstanding. You know, they, they it was a very disciplined performance. Um, they played against the breeze in the first half. Um, they they just grinded it out, and against all good sides, you know, no one capitulates after thirty yeah. or forty minutes. You've got to play them at fifty, sixty, seventy minutes. Sometimes it takes right into the seventy eighth or seventy ninth minute, but they they just started picking them off so they went in um a try up, um i think it might have been 10-3 or 10-0 at, at half time and then they just built on that score they kicked their goals you know to to keep montpellier um at bay yeah. um you know it's important to keep that scoreboard ticking over putting that pressure into points and then they they were patient with those opportunities and Ollie ali Woodbur- oh. woodburn's finishing yeah. was outstanding a guy can't do any more to put his hand up uh, well, for an international call than thing, he has. The other
1: thing that's amazing, you, know, you see, you look at some of the comments by Bath fans who who obviously had him and they're saying, well, why couldn't we get that sort of performance out of him? And it is amazing how some places suit some players better than others, isn't it? Um, I, I, they they obviously have to go up to the Scottsdale uh, this weekend. It's a bit difficult for them, isn't it? They're the early kickoff on a Saturday, so they're the first game and they don't know how many points they're going to require to qualify is it going to be 19 is it going to be 18 they're on 14 uh, at the moment so do they have to go all out for the bonus point they'll be thinking
2: win and and we're in, we're in great shape yeah um just trying to get a sense of what their their points difference is 28 um versus the other teams that potentially could get to eighteen Saracens and Bath yeah, are plus but, eleven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so they are in a good spot. Yeah. So you would Im- imagine if they could go and win the game, it you know, it might be enough. They'll guarantee qualification if they can get a bonus point. But not many sides of you know, yes, in Europe, um Glasgow being poor but they're unbeaten in the pro fourteen. Yeah. What what team are they exactly. gonna put out? Yeah. Um and how much um Ambition, do they, to finish the competition on a high? I, I don't know. I think Exeter will have enough. It's just the question as to whether um, they can get those five points and be the first team to book themselves through as best runners-up.
1: Well, I'll have a front row seat for that one. You can too. It's on at 12.30 on BT Sport 3. One of the other big
2: games from the weekend, that you were um, you were in Wales um, where the Ospreys hosted two-time champion Saracens um,
1: and... They potentially went a long way towards knocking the holders out. Huge performance uh, from the Ospreys. I think Saracens, you know, perhaps were dented a little bit psychologically by the loss of Jackson Ray before the game with a with a hamstring. Then they lost Michael Rhodes and Billy Vunapola at half-time with injuries. Having said that, they finished with a pretty good back row, Maratoji slotting into the into the sixth role and um, uh, Berger as well. So you know, you, they weren't weakened, but I think psychologically it might have knocked them out, but the Ospreys Played it really, really well, and um, yeah, it wasn't the greatest game of rugby by any means. It was a pretty dire affair, uh, affair. Um, but uh, you know, really well played from the likes of Dan Bigger pulling the strings, uh, Rhys Webb as well. So, look. Osprey's fully deserved it and now they've given themselves a shot and, and you didn't think they were going to get that shot but that, that draw means that they could go to Claremont which sounds a ridiculously tough encounter Claremont that, this is our game on BT Sport 2 at 3pm uh, on Saturday Claremont against Osprey's you wouldn't give them any hope because of Claremont's track record in Europe but Claremont have been rubbish the last few weeks
2: they have and they've they've got a horrible injury list I think they've got 11 outside backs uh, they couldn't choose from last weekend yeah. on top of three or four forwards so if ever you're going to sad marcel michelin now is a good time to do it yeah. and having lost the first couple of games in europe they were still pretty effective ospreys they, you know yeah. a good loss. If, if ever there's a good loss a good loss to saracens down in allianz park where they picked up a couple of points they a great second half performance to, Cla- to, to claremont in the opening game of of the competition so to know they could go down there and turn them over and um, top the pool, yeah. um, is quite a shout considering you know where they were playing, you know, looking down uh, at, at round three. Uh, are Saracens completely out of it? They're, no, they're not. The Saracens must go to. Um, must play in Allianz Park and win five, uh, get gain all five points against Northampton or a resurgent Northampton who themselves had a really good victory against Claremont last weekend. They'll enjoy the, the, the prospect as well of of helping everyone else um, keep the, the holders out of the tournament if they can deny them that bonus point or in fact go and rattle some cages and, and um, have a big result that would be a turn up for the books but um, I, I just sense, you know, good teams don't go away quietly, and Saris will definitely feel as though, you know, they've had big, big wins against Northampton thus far this year. You know, early on in Twickenham, and then in Franklin's Gardens, um, can they go back and and get five points, get that points difference up nice and high, and
1: and and set a target for others to try and. Uh, pick off. I, I think that's exactly the messages Saracens would have ha- would have had all week. It'd be ignore Europe. Let's just say we're out of Europe, and if something better happens, then something better. We cannot allow an Aviva Premiership rival to get a psychological advantage on us and, and think that they're back at the races we need to go down and show everyone that we're at boss well, both those games are live on bt sport 2 as i said claremont ospreys bt sport 2 at 3 p.m on saturday and at the same time if you flick over to bt sport three you'll see saracens against northampton saints okay so sunday's fixtures uh leicester rassing uh, munster castra uh, larachelle and harlequins but probably the standout one is wasps ulster because both teams really you know, although not favorites both teams can still do something in this tournament.
2: they can uh, obviously it's very much in ulster's favor they're topping the pool they know if they can gain a victory uh, against Wasp. they'll definitely at worst be um be best placed second up uh, runner up in a in a group uh, depending on what happens with la rochelle uh, and Quins, you'd imagine uh, with la rochelle's home record that yeah. they'll get all five points and then they've got a better um head to head record against ulster um, you know, is it probably too much of an ask for Ulster to go to Coventry and get a, a bonus point try? Maybe they'll just be thinking victory and, and yeah. we'll be in the knockout stages. The thing about Watson, it's, they must be kicking themselves this week. Like they had this phenomenal opportunity mm. to be at home in the final game. And um, probably they were, if they got two points at 13, yeah, they, they, they wouldn't have topped the group. But to, you know, to themselves yeah. against an Ulster side that haven't been in brilliant form no. this whole year uh, to go and beat them in the, in the final game. They would have bitten your hand off for that. And they, the total capitulation that was the performance against Quinns last week now leaves them in a spot where they need so many things to go their way. It's not inconceivable to see that they have something to play for. They do have the luxury before they take the field to know exactly what they might need to do or that they're out of the competition. One way or another they're they're going to be knowing what cards they're playing. So in in the situation where there's a loss of Exeter up in Glasgow yeah. um and then Racing losing to Leicester. Um, to Leicester it gives them an outside shot. Um so you you would be very surprised to see 17 points 17 points qualified. Yeah. Because of the position of the groups at the moment, but Stranger those crazy results happens. do well, you know, do go
1: extra qualifying a, a, a few years ago because Claremont made the wrong decision. Exactly, it's and go, go yeah. with, right, rather oh, than picking
2: go. up a losing bonus point. So yeah, it, it's it is fortuitous that um, they they have the final fixture. No one loves playing at three o'clock on a Sunday, but it's the one weekend that you wouldn't be um, afraid of doing so because they will know, and obviously Ulster will know what they need to do regarding the other pools but they won't know what's going on in that corresponding fixture with with Larochelle and and Quinns.
1: Well, no one might like playing at 3pm on a Sunday afternoon but lots of people like watching it on TV and you can do exactly that. BT Sport 2 and 4K UHD for the Wasps Ulster match 3pm on Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back next week with Austin Healy and David Flatman dissecting the weekend's European action. Remember to subscribe to the pod to make sure it gets delivered to your device every Thursday morning. And if you've enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating and leave a lovely review. Bye for now.
2: United Healthcare Tri-Term medical plans are available for these changing times.
1: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for
0: people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm
1: Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this
2: the hard way after losing my cat. Gen-